Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Tech Strong Women, where we feature amazing women doing amazing things in tech. I'm Jody Ashley, executive producer here at Tech Strong, and I'm here with my co-host, Tracy Reagan, creator and CEO of Deploy Hub. And in her free time, she spends a lot of time working with the Linux Foundation. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to give you a quick update about what's happening here at TechStrong. We just launched our newest site, techstrong.ai, so be sure to check it out. SecOps, sorry, um, on November 9th. You can register for all our events by going to techstrongevents.com and be sure to tune in every day to TechStrong TV for great shows and interviews. Hey, Tracy, what's on your mind today? Jenkins. Jenkins is on my mind today. <laughs> So every couple of years, CloudBees puts out a sort of state of Jenkins report. Mm. And um, this one is pretty astonishing because I think the market would like to tell us or like us to believe for some reason that Jenkins isn't as used as it used to be, which <laughs> apparently is not necessarily so true. According to this report, the Jenkins project growth um, over the last two years has been an astonishing 79%. Now, why is that an important number? It's an important number because we have to translate that into how many workflows that Jenkins is actually managing. Um, according to this report, they claim that Jenkins still owns about 44% of the CI/CD market. And I'm just gonna read these to you because I was, I was blown away by these numbers. The monthly Jenkins pipeline jobs grew 79% between June of 2021 and June of 2023. Wow. That translates from 27 million jobs per month to 48, almost 49 million jobs per month. That's an astonishing number of jobs that, that Jenkins is pushing across our pipelines. Now, I want to I want to keep keep everybody, you know, let's keep it real. When we're talking about these Jenkins pipelines, we we know that these pipelines are statically defined. So if we think about adding security adding security tooling to those pipelines, <laughs> like SBOM, we're talking about updating close to 50 million jobs per month. And a job is basically, you know, you know, I don't know how, if we could break that down into pipe, actual pipeline workflow files. It's probably not gonna be 50 million, but it's gonna be a whole lot. It's gonna be in the millions. So it's an interesting um, report. You can find it out in CloudBees News. I, I highly recommend you take a look at it and you know what, if you're using Jenkins, they do have a, a crowdfunding um, uh, program. Jenkins costs a lot of money to keep running. Uh, the, the, the Linux Foundation and the Continuous Delivery Foundation puts a lot of money into it. If you're an enterprise that depends on Jenkins, you might think about throwing it some love in the, in the <laughs> form of cash. Uh, so that is what I've got on my mind today. <laughs> All right. Well, that's some great stuff. Yeah. CloudBees, uh, we do a lot of stuff with them. They're a great organization. And that's definitely uh, something that we look for every year is that report, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now I'd like to introduce you to our guest today. Um, her name is Chris McHale. Chris, I'm going to let you go ahead and say hello to the audience and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Chris McHale, as was noted. Uh, let's see. I, I'm i a co-founder and uh, current CEO of SPK and Associates. We've been around for about, well, actually over 20 years now, I think. Um, and we have exclusively worked in the IT operations space for both product development and software 
development teams. And that's what we've done for that whole time. But um, focus more on software these days. Uh, we do a lot of uh, DevOps services for clients, some startups, some more established. Um, we work with a lot of different tools, including CloudBees, including <laughs> Jenkins, of course. Um, and um, so I'm running this incredible company. It's just a lot of fun. And we have a fantastic team of engineers that work to help all of our, all of our customers. Why don't we talk a little bit about Jenkins? Yeah, sure. <laughs> because I know your company <laughs> does gonna work happen. in this area. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, I know that, that, that the organization that you're currently involved in does do work around the life cycle. Mm -hmm. um, do you see, what are you seeing in terms of um, CICD engines? Is Jenkins continuing to be consumed in the way that that report uh, expresses? Yeah, it, it completely resonated with me. I mean, it's one of those funny things that um, just because I think of its its um, its birth and its open sourcedness, you'd think that something else would come over and come in and take over. But not unlike Linux, you know, it it's really it's ubiquitous. I mean, people it's easy to set up. It's easy to well, somewhat easy to maintain. It can get pretty it can get pretty uh, complicated at times, which is where Cloud Bees actually came in and you know helped out a bit with that area. But um, yeah, we see it all over the place. Pretty much everywhere we go in, they're using it to some degree or another. And how do you see teams um, kind of adapting? You know, my complaint about Jenkins is that it is mm -hmm. static. It's not as, you know, we we as technologists talk about all this agile development, but our pipelines are not agile. <laughs> no. And we just keep running, we just keep, keep creating them. Are you seeing um, new and interesting ways to use Jenkins? Uh, to address security in the pipeline? Um, I personally have not at this point. Um, I think that the, the 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 benefit and the I guess the bad part of Jenkins is it's it's free. It's easy to it's easy to set up. Many people, most people, know how to use it. Yeah, so it just knows how yeah, to use it. That's, that's exactly key, right. right. Yep. Uh -huh. And so then it's very it's very quick to do something, um, especially with software teams where they just want to get stuff done. Um, and then security tends to be an afterthought still, no matter how much people talk about DevSecOps, it just tends to be an afterthought still. And a lot of, a lot of the engineers don't, um, there's a lot to do with security, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a whole set of things in and of itself. They tend to be engineers that are more versed in that. They don't always get included when it comes to the pipeline. So I think a lot of that is getting the right people with the right mindset involved, as opposed to the tool itself. And then I think the right decisions would end up getting made um, early on, as long as people understand that you the the more you can pull the security side in early, the better off you are. Uh, but yeah, once in, in once real a pipeline's life, yeah, once a pipeline's yeah. defined, it's really hard to go back and add and update that. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, right? If you're especially if you're a small software company and you're trying to get product out the door, you're trying to get product out the door, and you do care about security, but you care more get, about getting the product out the door with some semblance of security. And then you keep thinking, well, I'm going to come back later. I'm going to really fix that. <laughs> and and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. I mean, this is real life, right? Yeah. That That's what happens in real life, no matter what people talk about. And, um, and in real life, we want to, we, we really, we are, we want automation, you know, yes. software developers and DevOps engineers and security engineers, yes. we are no different than anybody else. We want things handed to us. We want things yes. to be easy. We want onboarding to be easy. 
So going back and trying to readdress some of those pipelines to include that is definitely a maybe a third or fourth thought, right. which is why we continue to get stuck in the security problem that we have and why right. software itself is is so vulnerable to different types of it doesn't even have to be an attack. It just right. can be a simple vulnerability that somebody found, you know, it, o- over the course of they're working with some open source package. So do you do you think it's going to change? Because it's like anything else where people, I mean, what have we had now? Four or five years, maybe longer, I don't know, of serious cybersecurity threat where it's impacted people in their daily lives. And yet there isn't a huge amount of change, I don't think, in how the software companies in particular are acting. The bigger ones are, I think. But the smaller mm-hmm. ones, I don't know. And a lot of that's because it's higher cost, right? It takes longer. It takes more time and more money right. to add that in. I wonder what's going to really change it significantly. I mean, well, you I, you know, I think that when the uh, Biden administration said, hey, if you're going to do work for the government, you have to give us an S-bomb. It started a conversation. You know, mm-hmm. a software bill of materials is the is the basics. That's kind of the front line. What's, what are you consuming and you're handing to me? Mm-hmm. Are you consuming something that was that was written by someone that we don't want to trust? Right, right. And it feels to me that if we're going to go down this road in terms of application lifecycle management and we want yeah. to add security to it, the best way to do that is for customers to start mm-hmm. asking for it. So yeah. the customers have to demand it, but the customers don't always understand it. Right. So right. it is a we we are in a funny um in, infinity loop, I guess you would say, to take a reference to continuous delivery, that we continuously have this conversation and we know we kind of it's the snake, you know, e- eating its own tail and mm-hmm. we're not necessarily solving the problem. Right. Right. Well, what do you guys think? I know we're we're beating this drum and we're beating it to death, but what kind of an impact is AI going to have on opening everybody's eyes a little wider? Because those security breaches are going to be even easier to do at the rate that AI is developing. I mean, it seems to be having a huge impact. It could also be part of the solution. It right? could. And that's yeah. the problem is I, I'm yeah. tar- I'm terrified of some of the AI stuff, but oh, you're right. So, so many my. people I talk <laughs> no, to no, like no. you, they stop me and say, but there's also no, 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 a lot no. of good going on. I was right? being a little devil's advocate there. Well, there is that flip side, right? Yeah. That it can help in it's addressing real. because it's going to be able to do some of the engineering, if you will. But then, the reason, yeah. yeah. And the but response then, time, right? If you're, you've got a good AI tool built, you can respond to those breaches more quickly. Yeah. Or agilely because you've got that built, but still. As long as we have the data to build the models, which is what Deploy Heaven Artilius is doing. And that's why I'm so <laughs> excited about that. But I want to say something about AI. And this is a conversation we've had. I, I, I've been in other discussions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, it is a new relationship with data. When, you know, when we went from having flat files to a SQL database, we didn't have a fear discussion. And suddenly the way we access data and used it changed drastically. As opposed to reading an entire file, we could get data almost immediately. It changed our relationship with data. We started thinking about how to model data. So this this has been an evolution. Now, AI just is a new way of modeling data. if, if we weren't afraid of SQL, we shouldn't be afraid of new data models and machine learning. Now, except that. No, except that. I mean, I, I, th- that's a great analogy, except that um, you still had 
human beings sort of in control of what was going on with the data, or at least a semblance of control. What you have now is you're introducing a effectively algorithms and 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 artificial intelligence that uh, is in control of it itself. And so the data scenes uh, psychologically, and I think in reality, is going to be outside of our control. It's going to evade our control very quickly, and already has. I mean, we're already. Seeing I don't the see that. Of that. No, okay. <laughs> I do not see that. I think that when a human rights and algorithm or a human rights and ML um, ops workflow, we're still defining it. We are still controlling that information. Now, certainly those algorithms can grow, but they're going to grow incorrectly and they're, and we're going to bring them back in because we're constantly having to uh, trim the trim the tree, so to speak. So, you know, I, I think that there are occupations that should be worried. I think that occupations like the legal world, uh, accounting, um, even medicine um, may have a concern for those types of jobs. But overall, I think that AI will give us all of us a much better life. But I'm thinking way. about I'm thinking about the disinformation and the ability to mimic reality. So absolutely, how well. yes, that yeah. that is just gonna. It's already out of control, and we yeah. haven't even entered a political <laughs> cycle yet. I know right. that's what terrifies me about it is we we don't get enough feedback about the positives. All we hear about is, oh, look what AI did. Oh, look what AI is doing. It's generating all this junk and garbage, and and um, yeah. So I think that's we need to focus on getting. These we don't need we out don't, there more where people are saying, but guess what it's doing for me? That's good. Right. And AI, we do not need AI to put out disinformation. Yeah, but it's no, but it's going to do it a lot job. faster. It's accelerating it. Yeah. I'm sounding like a big naysayer here. I'm not trying to be a naysayer. No, no. I'm actually just taking the other side because you were taking that side. I love it. And I think that regulation is going to be important for it, for yeah. AI in the social world. There's no doubt. Regulation will be super important and regulation should have been in, in place way before now because humans can do the same thing as AI and maybe the AI are saying we can do it faster. I don't know. I think there's a lot of disinformation that was out there over the last four there years is, when AI but, wasn't there. Yeah. So. True, true. But they haven't been able to get that under control. So if you no, just accelerate, if you just AI accelerate the cycle, it, it just makes it harder. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Exactly. There's some kind of regulation that's going to have to be put in place for that. Yes. But yes. outside of the social networking and the, the that human kind of uh, interaction, yep. um, which I think social, there's, social media has a lot of issues. I don't, yep. you know, kids shouldn't be on social media. I read this most amazing book called The Greatest, I think it's called The Greatest Life. It's by, uh, written by a couple of Harvard uh, professors. And they talk about uh, the, the impact of social uh, media on kids. Mm -hmm. And there's some areas that I didn't even really even think about in terms of the, the potential uh, damage that it has. And one of them is relationships. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. How important relationships are to learn to foster and to grow and to establish. And only having relationships through a portal yep. prevents them from really understanding the importance of relationships and growing from it. Yep. So, yep. yes, absolutely. we have a lot of issues in, in technology. We have to I was just not to digress, but I was just I was reading a book where um, they were talking about <clears throat> just teenagers and, and the development of teenagers. I have a teenager, so yeah, <laughs> that's you go. Of it. you're but, in the um, thick of it. 
<laughs> yeah, I am. Because they were talking about um, that that very fact that, you know, because of the electronics and the way they communicate, they, they don't actually talk to each other as much as they used to. And so having conversations is actually a skill they're not necessarily developing as fully as perhaps we did, you know, when we were well, growing and up. What's so. crazy is my kids are in their late 20s and they didn't get the social media until they were much older than kids mm -hmm. today, obviously. But what I see, and hopefully they won't watch this and kill me, but um, <laughs> what I see is not just the relationships, but their inability to negotiate and mm. have conversations and um, advocate for themselves. Because if you can do it on a device and you can do yeah. it in an email, but when you have to do it face-to-face, -face, they cower a bit. And yeah. they're like, I can't, you know, I don't want to make anyone upset and I don't yeah. want to create any waves. Yeah. And I'm like, what? This is okay. You tell yeah. them, do this. It's not, it, it, they're not going to get angry, you know? And it's, it's, yeah, it's a whole bigger, even this, this generation that didn't, you know, have it from the time they were, you know, six yeah. and seven. It's, yeah. it's just interesting to see the evolution of the development of this generation coming up because mm -hmm. of social and, you media. Know Online young stuff. girls and even women uh, older women have trouble finding their voice as it is yeah yeah, yeah so, that's so true right it's hard yeah. enough right so how do we continue to make sure that young women coming through the ranks can find their voice and in the in roles like you chris i mean oh. how did you find your voice running an organization like uh you're running you must have somehow discovered your voice way early on. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. I, it took me a really, really long time. Oh, yeah. Um, well, and it was really hard, especially in the beginning. Um, there were almost no women in tech, you know, leadership roles. Um, I have this funny story. I always tell people when I was actually doing more of the tech delivery, uh, I was at a I would be at a client and that was back in the day when there was infrastructure, you know, on site and um, things would break. Right. And so we'd put in a call for something uh, for a server and then the engineer would come and be sitting in the um, lobby. And I was went by Chris, not because I was trying to fool anybody, oh. <laughs> but I just, it was just my nickname <laughs> since the time I was a kid. And so I would be interacting with them over email and then I would show up in the lobby and they would sitting, be sitting there and they would look up when I walked in and then they would look back down. Because oh. they couldn't conceive of the fact that I, you know, oh, wow. was going to be a woman, right? And so I walked up and then they would kind of do a double take and then they were always very nice. But um, it was just one of those funny uh, memories that I have uh, throughout the years or only being, you know, the only woman in the in the conference room or what have you. Mm -hmm. So I, I found it to be, I'm, I'm a very transparent person. I found it to be very intimidating in the beginning and um, while... I always thought of myself as this, you know, a woman who could speak her mind or what have you. I, I had to really teach myself just not to care about what, in this case, you know, the men around me, but anybody was thinking. Mm -hmm. And just to know that I knew what I knew and I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't have to pretend, you know, and I didn't have to try to be like anybody else. I just had to be who I was. And that sounds so simple. And I talked to my daughter about that. And so hard, you know, it's, it's so it, hard. It's so hard. And she, and even she's, I think, a wonderful blossoming, you know, young person, young woman. And I can already see, you know, you're, I'm watching her thinking, yeah, I remember thinking that I remember being that way. I remember feeling that way. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, maybe only experience can truly 
teach you those things? Not sure. It's it's a fascinating question. And I actually think about it a lot. Well, and what's painful about it is you experienced it 20 years ago. And depending yeah. on the field, women are still experiencing it today. Yeah. And it's like, um, you know, my daughter goes through it. She's a director and a producer and an actor. Mm. And she'll walk into a room as a young woman and with these much older white dudes mm -hmm. and you know they just don't really have the time of day and mm -hmm. it's it's been an, really like with your daughter it's been an interesting journey to watch her go on and I've been really excited to see how she's dealt with it and um, I'm always encouraging her to keep it keep it up mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's just really hard to watch but it's sad that it, 20 years later it's still yeah I think it's better. It's definitely better. Oh, yeah. um, I think it helps when there's just one other woman in the room. And I don't know if that's a very popular thing to say, but it just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like it, if there's just one other woman in the room, the, I don't know, you just, you feel like you can just be a little bit more real and then you can connect with them maybe and still connect with everybody else. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's no, a, I think it's that's a true. That's a tough yeah, one. We need to get yeah. some more women in the room when it comes to boardrooms, don't we? It's like yeah. it's time. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about SPK and and do you do you guys have a you know are you pursuing um you know diversity issues? Is that something that's often discussed? <laughs> she oh well, yeah, well, I mean you know yeah. <laughs> Oh yes, it is, and it's um. This is one of one of the we every time we're going to hire an engineer, you know, I I always try to hire a woman or somebody of color, any anything to diversify the group because the a diversified group, I it's not just um, semantics. It it really is a truly stronger group, and uh, you bring perspectives that you don't already have, and so on. It's hard to do as a small company in particular. You, there's nobody that we can hire that cannot be sort of at the top of their game, both technically and and with soft skills. I mean, they just have to be able to carry that weight. So we're really picky about who we hire. So we ultimately are going to hire the person that can do the job, but we go out of our way you know, to try to find, sometimes we can and, and sometimes we can't. Um, yeah. So it's hard. So it's, it's hard yeah. to find women. It's really, yeah. really, it can be really challenging. I know that. Yeah. So I, and this is a question that's, that's, that I really wonder about why, why, I mean, there's tons of women in science, you yes. know, there, there's so many women, women in science. And yet when it comes to the technology or the kind of the harder part, there just aren't, don't seem to be as many, or they, I have this current hypothesis, which I have no idea is true, <laughs> <laughs> that they do come out of the schools. We've got a lot of, uh, you know, women who are studying to be engineers that are coming out of the schools and they start to work in the more technical discipline. And then they often have really great soft skills or per interpersonal skills. And so they morph over into a different role because it's hard to find somebody who can do tech and have the personal skills. And they're very, very sought after. So I wonder if a lot of the women are moving more into those roles and then they're not really staying in the more hardcore engineering role. I think, you nailed that. I, no, I think I think you're right about that because we've you know, I I see so many women who end up in, in a management role. Uh, they go yeah. into um, uh, maybe DevRel or marketing roles mm -hmm. uh, and instead of staying because they're better communicators. And so mm -hmm. they gravitate towards that those areas and they and instead of being in those technical roles. 
Yeah. And in fact, we've had, we've always asked women what, yeah. you, know, what, would, you, <laughs> what would you suggest to a, uh-huh. a, a young woman just out of school in getting into her career? And almost everybody says, take a job as a coder, stay in programming as long as you can, learn as much technical as you can before you jump and do anything else. And yeah, I think we have some good empirical data to back up your theory yes. just on our interviews here. <laughs> yes, 100%. It 100%. is exactly what people say is that that's what women, <laughs> what women tend to do. And, uh, SBK, how, you and so that? how long do they stay? Well, just a quick question. How long do you think they end up staying in the tech coder, more engineering role? Well, I haven't. I have an, so I have a, a, a niece who um, just graduated and she had about three years of programming experience as an intern. And then they offered her full-time work while she, and she did that while she was uh, um, going to school. And they started pushing her pretty early into project management, which I kept telling her, no, don't do that. Don't oh, do wow. that. Don't do that. Yeah. So oh, they, were, really they were, they just almost, almost stereotypically said, there's the girl on, on the, on the team, let's give her some of the more administrative tasks. That we're, are more good like we're good at organizing. We're good at organizing. And so they wanted someone to organize and she started doing that. And I kept saying, no, tell them, no, you want to code. Tell them you want programs. You, you just yeah. got to code. So I think it, I don't think it takes very long. I really don't. Yeah. And there is that side of not so much the administrative, but the interpersonal side that mm-hmm. is, it is extremely valuable, right? I mean, in, even in our team, well, we're a client-facing team for the most part. We have some people that are less client-facing, but 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 the people that we hire have to be able to talk to people and interact with people on some level, um, and um, that that's hard. That it's harder, it, yeah. and in, sometimes if they're really gifted technically, they're worse at you know the interpersonal. Um, and vice versa, I suppose. And then there are some unicorns that are really good at both and they're very, very rare. Um, and so and I wonder, like even project management is about getting people to do the things that you need them to do. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's the administrative side or is it really more that interpersonal capability of being able to, you know, herd the cats and get people yeah. to team up in to producing something. But I, it might be both. And keep the, keep the wheels yeah. on the rails, keep things yeah, yeah. moving, keep things productive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. the kind of categories I've always fallen into. And I enjoy that. I like yeah. my life here is hurting a lot of cats around the yeah. world. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, we see so many, see so many people are women that have talked to us that have said the same thing you did, that they all kind of get funneled and then huh. And sometimes it's because, you know, we have babies and we have families right. and we're caretakers and that, that, you know, is a whole other conversation that we struggle with when it comes to having jobs and going up the corporate ladder. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although I would argue that if you really wanted to be a coder and you're coding, it's a very flexible job, right? Cause you have to produce as long as you produce, you can go pick up your kids from this exactly. school or whatever. Yeah. That's and are you, so are you let's talk about remote work i'm just curious yeah. um <laughs> what so you spk does a lot of work with customers all over mm-hmm. the united states i don't yeah. maybe in the world yeah in the world so um are you seeing so are you are you primarily remote or are you spending a lot yeah. of money on travel you know what how how is that panning out um, I would say it depends on what we're doing. We're, we try to do as much as remote remote as we can, like everybody else, because it's less expensive and less 
um, invasive on the engineer, you know, in terms of travel and so on. We find that, and this has been a really fascinating topic over the last several years, because we all went through this immense social experiment, you know, <laughs> where we all were forced, forced remote. And certain things worked really well, and then a lot of things didn't work at all. Um, human beings, I feel like they need to be human beings. And Zoom is a great, it's better than nothing, but it's not the same as seeing somebody face to face. Uh, when we start a project or start a relationship, or so if we're doing managed services, you know, for for a client, we try to spend as much face-to-face -face time as we can with them, especially up front. So we may go, we may, we may stay for a few days, try to get to know the people, get to know the relationships, get to know the politics, you know, of a company. Um, and then we won't just stay remote, then we'll we'll parachute in every you know, some sort of frequency. Uh, if we can get an engineer, kind of like a lead engineer, we call them primary engineers, that's local to that company, even if they're not necessarily doing all the work or it's not their skill set, if they're their representative, they can go on site, even if it's for a day and they can just sit there and talk to people because it's amazing how many people will come up and just start talking to you about stuff that they they won't tell you they won't they won't enter a ticket they won't ask a question but if you're sitting there they'll come over and then we found during covid that it was challenging to maintain those relationships to that really high level without being able to visit people that that's at least been our experience i think it depends on the kind of tech that you're doing for people you know but that our kind is a helping kind i guess so it helps to be on site it kind of goes with that, you know, the, the book I was reading, The Greatest Life. Relationships are so important um, yeah. and it's hard to build them through a hour Zoom meeting or even a 15 minute Zoom meeting yeah. or a stand up. Yeah. So it it, it, uh, it creates kind of an interesting puzzle for companies like yours. You yep. have engineers who don't want to have to be getting on a plane on a that's right on a Sunday night and coming home on a Friday night and just right. barely having a day at home. Right, which makes it really really hard. And, and we really Welcome don't to my do life. That. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what my make. husband does. That's what my husband's like. He travels so much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, we 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 try not to do. We don't do that. I mean, we we really. Um, we, we just work it out so that we don't do that. Cause I just, that's not a good culture, I think for the company and for the people. And, and a lot of people will say, well, why did you start this company? And I say, well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons was at the time I felt like there was not a great supportive culture in tech. You know, there were just a lot of companies that were in it just to make a bunch of money and then they would use people the way they needed to use them and wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily benefit in the fruits of the labor, et cetera. And I just thought, well, why don't we have a company? And I did come out of HP, so I probably was somewhat colored by that. But I mm -hmm. thought, that, why can't there be a tech services company where the people are hugely valued and, and they are the company, you know, they're, they're what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And um, so that culture and maintaining that culture is really important to me because it was part of the reason that I started it to begin with. Um, and we have people that have been with us 15, 16 years. Wow. Which in Silicon Valley. Which, that's like family. Know, that's, I know, it really is. <laughs> it's family. really wonderful. It's really wonderful. Yeah. So um, I have a question so. for you. Yes. Um, I was reading in one of your bios that you do work to improve the lives of women and girls in Ethiopia. Yes. I would love to hear more about that. <laughs> yes. Okay. This is so close to my heart. Um, 
my daughter is from Ethiopia originally. She's oh, wow. adopted. And so I have that feeling and, you know, tie to the country. Uh, I was also, my dad was in the foreign service. And so I grew up in Africa and Asia. And so I have childhood memories and kind of connections, I guess, to different countries, but um, certainly countries in Africa. And so when, um, when uh, after Hannah, my daughter was adopted and we would go to this heritage camp once a year where they tried to get the kids together just to kind of maintain Ethiopian oh, heritage wow. and do fun things. It was wonderful. And I met this man and, oh, sorry, prior to me getting involved in tech and um, business, I was in, in international development. So that's also something close to my heart. And we did a lot of micro lending and small business development when I was working in it. So when I met um, this fellow, Adu Warku, who had founded this company, Zazamba, we just hit it off. We met at the heritage camp and knowing what I knew about international development, he was just doing everything right. So we got, I got involved in what he was doing and I started funding a lot of his projects. He's done absolutely amazing work. I can't say enough about what he has done. And um, in Ethiopia, uh, the, one of the first projects that he did was to try to keep girls in school. Um, what happens in a lot of the rural areas is that the girls start their period when they enter puberty, and there's not really any way to control that. And so um, they don't have pads and they don't have things that we take for granted here. So he came up with this just really basic idea of we'll get sewing machines and we'll get them all out to these uh, villages and the girls will sew pads and reusable things that they can then use so that instead of when they get their period, they just stay home from school. Sorry, didn't mention that at the beginning. They just stay home yeah, from school right. and then they fall behind. So now they can continue to go to school. The simplest thing, right? That right. the simplest thing. So sad. That's so mm. right. But, but his... Yeah. Work has been fantastic. And so he started it and now the girls train each other and they go to different villages themselves. It's like he planted these seeds, you know? So that was one thing he did. He also, um, teff is the grain in Ethiopia that is used uh, to make injera, which is one of their um, basic, if you've ever had Ethiopian food, you've had injera. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to, in the rural areas, grind the teff with stones, mm -hmm. which then eventually little tiny pieces of the stones stay in the teff. So first mm. of all, it's really hard work for the women. And secondly, it actually wears their teeth down over the years. And so oh, he mm. bought some mills and we helped fund that too. And so he puts the mills in these different kind of co-op mills in different areas. Uh, several villages use them and they bring the teff in and they use the mill and they can grind the teff and then they go back home. And anyway, these are just that's, a couple of the projects no, that he's No, done. that's just fascinating. That is so amazing. I yeah. learned a lot about teff over the course of the uh, COVID, I was doing a lot of cooking and learned really? how important. Yeah, teff is a really high in protein, low in yes. sugar. Yes. Um, and and I was making teff cookies and teff bread and teff right porridge. And teff, I was I was teffed out, let me tell you. you <laughs> and it's funny, I, I started seeing teff flour in like a our local kind of Whole Foods place. And right. I thought, oh my gosh, they have teff flour in the United States now. Yes, Great, and it, you know? most of it comes from a woman. I think she came from Ethiopia and she's, mm -hmm. and she's in Idaho and she's growing teff locally and out of Idaho. Oh, wow. wow. And it's really, really uh, important because it's, it's drought tolerant. Yes. Oh boy. It grows easily. It doesn't take a lot of water. And like you said, it's really high in protein, much more yeah. than some of the other grains. Yeah. So there so. you go. Tech, tech strong women. Tech strong women. Got you a new one. <laughs>
Hey, so, you know, yeah. this is a, this is a good time to let our audience know we're almost out of time. Um, oh my. <laughs> that, I know we, it goes fast. It goes fast. Um, wow. I just really appreciate having you here and that I'm always the one Tracy knows. I always wait to pounce on the, the things and it's just so amazing to me. And again, I'll probably get yelled at, but <laughs> what I see is women pick up a project and they work and they succeed and they do jobs, but they still hold on to these outside really important things that they're doing on top of that. And, um, it never ceases to impress me. Um, and, and you it's what makes into it, that it category. Ma- oh, thank you. But it's what makes life so rich, right. doesn't it? I right. mean, it's what makes it it's balance, rigid. right? It's yeah. balance. And we all need it. And COVID messed it a lot up. And mm-hmm. it's been, I know I personally have struggled to get, get it back. So um, I just love hearing stories about, you know, I didn't know any of the stuff about <laughs> tough. I know that there's a lot of girls around the world struggling because they have periods and whether it's mm-hmm. water sources so they can go to mm-hmm. school and have hygiene or whether it's supplies that they need. Um, it's just great to hear people yeah. that find a way to, to make yeah. things well, work. And, and if you guys better. feel like it, Zazamba, Z-O-Z-A-M-B-A, they have a website and they do take donations. Um, <laughs> Awesome. You know, if you want to donate to something that's going directly to people and helping people, it's just wonderful. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being with yeah. us today. We really Tracy, appreciate it. Absolute pleasure to meet Tracy, you. Tracy, wonderful you. meeting you too. Yeah. And Jody <laughs> both. Thank you. And Michael, thanks for staying with me and, and making sure I got Chris on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for watching. Um, stay tuned for some more great programming from TechStrong TV. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks.